Well, welcome to the gathering. I'm uh, Jeff. I'm glad you guys can uh, be here tonight. Did you guys enjoy the worship, the food, all that stuff? Sterling. It's amazing to see how uh, far God has brought us. And I was thinking about that in my own life. I was thinking about, you know, when, you, when you're a Christian for a number of years, I think for me it's been 17, 18 years, you, you see a lot, you experience a lot. And one of the hardest things is that you, you have to watch people kind of fall by the wayside, right? Anybody see that? You know, you see friends, maybe family members, people that you're close with, they, they kind of fall away. And, and sometimes you're left wondering, like, man, like, how am I still in the game? You know, how am I still in this? And I was just back there just thinking about just how God has been so faithful in my life. And, you know, I don't even know why I even stand up here most of the times. I'm like, this is a, a great honor. Sometimes, you know, like it's a, it's a weighty thing to teach God's, God's word and for him to have called me to do that. But, you know, I think the reason why um, I'm still around is because I have a Ph.D., I'm not talking about a Ph.D. from a college. I'm talking about a Ph.D. in the kingdom. See, uh, a P stands for poor in spirit. You know, have you, have you been before God so poor in spirit, so broken over your sin that you know that he's the only way, he's the only solution, he's the only healer, deliverer in your life? I've been there many times just on my knees crying out for his help. Are you hungry? Do you hunger and thirst for God, for his righteousness, for his ways to become your ways? Are you desperate for him? Do you, are you still looking for other solutions or is he the, the only option in your life? You see, you, a, a Ph.D. in the world might get you places, it might get you recognition, but a, a Ph.D. in the kingdom is going gonna, is gonna to get you a long way. Poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and desperate for God. Amen. That's, that's what's going to, it's going to keep you alive. It's going to keep you there. And, and also the, the grace of God. But I just wanted to share that because, you know, this is a, a war of attrition. If you just persevere and not give up, you'll, you'll get, you'll go as far as, as far as you can go. As far as God will take you. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. PhD. But, um. Tonight, I want to talk about this subject of, of being a friend of God. Who's a friend of God in here? Maybe you sing that song, I am a friend of God. Maybe. No, maybe. There was a, a song back in the day. I think it was older than me. I'm a friend of God. Popular song. But I want to talk about this because it, it is such an honor. You know, a lot of people, they speak on you know, I want to get to the end of my life and, and see God and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I think something that is better than that is for God to actually call you his friend. There's a, a few people in the Bible, or many of them, that God actually calls his friend. God actually calls Abraham his friend. When God was going to... Uh, judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he thought, well, you know, Abraham's my friend. I might as well go and tell him what I'm going to do. 
And in this conversation, Abraham's bargaining with God. He's like, God, are you going to save it if there's 40, 40 righteous people or 30 or 35? And he pretty much talks God down to 10, which is amazing that God will sa- would save a town if there's 10 righteous people in it. You know, sometimes in church we, we judge uh, towns, you know, we we're like, it's so wicked. But, you know, God's up there. He's like, you know, if there's 10 righteous people, I can still do something in that town. Amazing enough, in the story, there wasn't. And so God had to destroy it. But I love this idea, being a friend of God. And I want to speak about it. But if you guys are, uh, want to stand with me, we're going to read from John. We're going to read in our passage tonight. And, and Jesus is going to talk about love. He's going to talk about um, his friends being the apostles. And I'm going to read through the whole passage. And so John 15, 9 through 17. It says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Amen. You guys may be seated. I want to break this down verse by verse tonight, and we're going to have some table talk in our table groups. But uh, the first verse is, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. I've always thought what that means. In some translation, it says abide in me or remain. But um, kind of interesting is that um, I was reading something, an article about the friends that we stay in contact with in life. You know, maybe some of you are not from or didn't grow up in Camarillo. Maybe you grew up somewhere else and you made friends there. Well, they say that proximity has a, a big part of that. Maybe it's the kids on the block or people you met in school or someone you played kickball with. Sometimes it's activity-oriented. and someone you grow up playing soccer with or, you know, someone that uh, you play video games with. Or maybe just the, the kids down the street. You know, we used to play uh, pickup hockey. We did that back in the day. It doesn't seem like kids do that anymore, unfortunately. Play and ride their bikes and do all sorts of things. But... That's kind of how you, you make friends. But fast forward to high school. Fast forward to college and you go to different schools. You meet different people. And then being an adult even, getting married, having a family, it seems like some of those old friends that you've had back in the day are no longer there. Some of them have uh, moved away. Some of them went to different schools. Maybe some of them have, uh, maybe they didn't grow up. You know, maybe some of them have grown worse or just moved on. 
I think in, in my life, there's been numerous friends I've had. Um, some I even used to call best friend that no longer are, that I'm, I'm connected with or that I'm acquainted with. They're almost like strangers. And uh, in this article, they talked about, and they talked about how you really only stay in contact with a handful of people your entire life. Like, it might have been three or five. It was very few in number. You only, continuously throughout your life, you only stay in contact with three to five people. Which is crazy, because everybody else is just there for a season. Maybe it's just people you know on a job, or you know, people you know in a town, or a church. But all those other people, they, they don't remain. And that's curious. I was thinking about that. I'm like, why is that? How come, how come it seems like some friends stick around and other friends tend to go? I don't know. But Jesus, he, I feel like he's speaking about the same thing. He's, he talks about remaining in his love. How do we do that? How do we remain in his love? How do we stay connected to Jesus instead of growing apart? Especially in our fast-paced world, especially maybe for some of us, we grew up in church and Sunday school, and you saw that as you grew up, that some of your friends graduated from their faith. Like, how do you stick with them in season and out of season? I want us to discuss that in our, our table groups. That very question is, how do you stay connected to Jesus in your life today? Go ahead. All right, so... How do we stay connected to Jesus in our life today? I, there's numerous answers, but I think one of the best answers is just commitment. It's, it's, like, it's very similar to the relationships that we have, maybe a marriage covenant or another relationship. It's simply just commitment. It's taking the time, taking uh, those opportunities to connect with the talk with them. I heard this story, or it's a history story of uh, Cortez. He was a Spanish conquistador who wanted to conquer the new lands, I think, for Spain. And when he landed in in South America, uh, he was so dedicated that he burned all the ships. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you have all your men, and they're probably homesick, and, and you're just seeing all these ships up in flame. That's dedication, that's, that's commitment. There's like no other option. You can't even return home. It's like we're going to accomplish what we're set out to do. I mean, it may not have been for the right reasons, you know, conquering and subjugating a people, but that's, that takes a lot of dedication. And my question is, is Christ your only option? Or is he just simply a option? Is he a means to an end? Have you forsaken everything else? For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Luckily, Jesus tells us how to remain, how to abide in his love. He says this in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's command and, is, and remains in his love. You know, I, I heard this pastor say that he hates doing weddings, which is weird. You know, usually pastors love doing that. And the thing he hates the most is, is hearing the people, when the people do their own wedding vows. That's very popular, right? Anybody do their own wedding vows here? I'm not trying to blast you. I, I like weddings. I'm not him. 
But, he, you know, he's just there and it's all sappy. And, you know, usually they say stuff like that they hear in, uh, on a song or a movie like, you know, how can I live without you? And my heart just skips a beat every time I see you and, and stuff like that. And he's just like up there and he's thinking about like, man, like I wonder what it's going to be like for them 10 years from now. You know, when, you know, she's not wearing a white dress anymore when she's wearing, like, sweatpants and he's not in a tuxedo anymore and he's just, like, you know, wearing just, like, work clothes all stained in oil or dirt or whatever. Like, what is it going to be like? Are they, are they going to be able to uphold their commitment? Are they going to be able to keep what, they've, what they wrote, their own vows? He thinks about that and he, and he wishes he could almost take them 10 years from now to, to show them, like, how well they, they did those things. I think with God, it's the same way. At first, we, we start off and we're zealous, and yet sometimes we, we lose track. Even in one of the letters that John writes to the churches, it's like, you know, they're doing all this great stuff externally, and yet they've forgotten their first love. It's like that, that fire has went out. They're, they're doing things maybe just out of habit, out of just religious observant or just how it, it feels and, and yet they forget that. But for us, it's like we have to continually remember to keep his commands, which if most commands of God are in keeping right relationship, a right relationship with, with him and other people. And following God's ways aren't a burden, but they're supposed to lead us to joy. We think Following his commands are a drudgery or a chore. And yet Jesus says they're supposed to lead us to joy. He says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Last week, Randy spoke about God's discipline. I'm glad I didn't have to do that. That's a hard thing. God's discipline, God's pruning. Anybody like that? Nobody? I think, yeah, you have to be a masochist, to, to enjoy that. No one likes discipline, but obviously it serves a purpose in our lives. It's supposed to lead us to joy. Did you know that children who receive discipline, I'm not talking about abuse, but the children who receive healthy discipline actually feel closer to their parents than children who never were. That is, that is a study that they've revealed. In fact, I, I talked to somebody. I, I used to go to Eastern Europe for mission trips, and I talked to a young girl, and she said that her parents never disciplined her. In fact, when she went out and did things or went to parties, when she would get back, her parents would be like, oh, like, what alcohol did you try? And what did, you know, did you try any drugs? Like, oh, cool, like, we should try those too. She's like, my parents are like children. They're like, and she's like, and you can just see it on her, and she was speaking about how she wished that they would actually be her parents. They would actually put their foot down and tell her No. And she actually didn't feel loved by them. Isn't that strange? Right? Maybe you guys had, like, very strict parents, and you're like, man, like, it was so hard, so tough. But I'm sure you probably at least respect them. Maybe you didn't enjoy some of the things. Maybe they did it out of anger. But at least there's a respect there. And they did it because they cared. They, they might not have done it in the, in the right ways or, or in the way that they, but they did it in the way they knew how to do it. Sometimes we've got to give our parents grace because, they only knew the best, or they did the best that they, they knew how to do. So all of God's judgments are aimed at what is not producing love in our life. 
I'll say that again. All of God's judgments are aimed at what is not producing love in our life. He wants to remove any obstacle that hinders us from being near to him, from growing close to him, and from one another, from each other. Because he sees these things and it removes joy. It takes away joy. He sees the things in our lives that are causing us to stumble. And he wants to remove that because he wants to bring us freedom. Or even with one another, the things that we have against one another. He wants to teach us how to forgive, how to let go of things, how to teach us to love, how love covers a multitude of sins so that we can be together, we can be happy, we can enjoy each other's company without killing each other, which would be a bad thing in church. Don't do that. But Jesus reiterates in, in, in verse 12, he says, um, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. What a high statement that is. For us to love one another the way that he's loved us. And he says in 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You know, Jesus was the ultimate picture of this. I don't believe any religious figure in history displays what love really is. It's more than just a feeling. It's more than just a, a nice spiritual idea. He actually paid the price for our sins. He actually took the role of a, of a servant to wash his disciples' feet. He wanted to show the world a, what real love was. And also for the church to, to take up that mantle of love and to, be, and to show the world what that is like. You know, our, our world today, you think about it, it's like it's so filled with hate, so, so filled with, it seems like, polarization. Maybe that's just, maybe probably a lot of the media, but it, it also seems pretty true. We're so divided. And yet, you know, time after time, I, I kind of go back to that. I think it was Martin Luther King's his, like, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only the light, only love can drive out the darkness. We can only overcome darkness with, with the light, the Bible tells us. And as a church, we should be known and defined by one thing. We shouldn't be, you know, I believe in gatherings. I believe in awesome worship songs which go around the world. Uh, you know, the commands of God, the doctrines are set of beliefs. I believe in all these things, but all these things should really be under the banner of love. Love is the ultimate expression of what God has designed for the church and is the ultimate expression of those who call themselves friends of God. It's to display the same love, to, to love each other, to love in the way that he has loved us to do. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples that they are no longer servants. He, he says in verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. That is an amazing, amazing honor to be called a friend of God. You know, these disciples had left everything. They left their jobs. Maybe some of them even left their families. They they left their communities, they left it all in order to follow Jesus. 
And at this point in time in his ministry, he's like, I don't even call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. You know, you think about how much time they spent walking together, how much, you know, they... A lot of this you won't even see in the Bible. You, you know, how much, like, some of these towns would be miles and miles and miles apart that they just would walk. You know, how long does that take? Or the countless meals that they would have, or, or even, like, horse playing. You know, I knew they'd probably wrestle or, you know, skip rocks on the Sea of Galilee. They spent a lot of time together. And Jesus wants to be our friend. He wants to get to know us. Now, I want to kind of shift gears for a moment and talk about the certain titles that the Bible has. You know, there's enemies, servants, children, and friends. And I just want to go through this real quick. It says, I'll start with enemies. So an enemy is someone that is opposed to God, right? You don't want to be an enemy of God. In fact, um, yeah, you don't want to be opposed to him because he's going to win, right? If you don't think God is a fighter, just set yourself against him. He, he's, he's, yeah, he doesn't lose, so enemies are opposed to God. They reject his leadership or his kingship. So they don't want to have anything to do with his kingdom. They do not obey his commandments or his universal laws. Like they don't respect it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They want to you know, do what is right in their own eyes. The Bible says they follow their own appetites or that they follow the God of their own stomach. And also it says they... Jesus says that they take after their father, the devil, take after Satan, who was a rebel from the beginning, right? He was a rebel from the beginning and, and challenged God, right? He's like, did God really say, is God really, is he, is he really good, you know? Put, he put that doubt in their minds. So that, that is a, an enemy. Let's go to servants. I didn't really get a lot for this one. But servants really are just those who, they follow orders, they, they labor for God's kingdom. There's nothing wrong with being a servant. In fact, I think that you really can't call yourself a friend if you're not willing to serve. Right? This is the, this is the pathway in, to um, being great in the kingdom. It says, like, you take, you, um, the least of these shall be the greatest, what Jesus is saying. It's, it's through the path of servanthood. Next, children, this is a, an amazing honor that God calls us children of God. Children, they, they, they also serve. They serve the Father. They, but they also share in the Father's inheritance. They share in God's nature and they walk in God's ways. In fact, someone that uh, walks according, I mean the word follow in the Bible has this connotation of likeness. So to follow Jesus means to share in his likeness. So the children of God are going to bear um, his image. We're going to bear his likeness. We're going to have the same nature. Now, I, a lot of times, a lot of pastors tell you, like, be like Jesus. Don't be like Jesus, but be with him. You'll spend your whole life trying to be like Jesus, and the fact of the matter is you're not. We're, we're human. We're, we're full of all sorts of things. We're full of mistakes, you know. But the thing is, when you spend time with Jesus, you become like him. He begins to rub off on you. You know, it's like trying to warm yourself on a winter day, right? You're outside and you're rubbing your hands together. You're trying to get warm. Well, why don't you just come near the fire and you'll get warm? If you want to be like Jesus, be near him. And lastly, I want to talk about 
being friends of God. I think it's the greatest honor. This is not a title that God has for everybody. But anybody can become a friend of God because God is an equal opportunity employer. He's no, he's no respecter of persons. But my question is, are you willing to pay the price to being God's friend? You may ask, what do you mean? Is being God's friend going to cost me something? Well, James writes in uh, 4.4, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. To be God's friend means walking away from worldly pursuits, from characteristics, from, from it might be pride or covetousness or, or lust or any of those things that take our eyes from God, we, we must walk away from in order to be friends of God. But before we dive deeper into this topic, I kind of want you to discuss this, this question of, for your, yourself personally is what do you look for in a friend? What qualities or characteristics make someone a good friend? What makes someone a bad friend? And then we're going to explore characteristics that make friends of God. You guys ready? All right, go. So the question is, what do you look for in a friend? What qualities, characteristics make someone a good friend? I think a lot of these qualities are universal of what make people good friends, like loyal, nice, probably helps. Maybe some for some of you attractive. I don't know. Maybe not. What makes for a bad friend, right, if they're lying or if they're not honest? But I wanted to look at some of the qualities of, the, that God, of, of some of the characters that we know in the Bible and what separated them from the, from the rest. And so um, you look at Abel, right, Cain and Abel. He brought a greater sacrifice than Cain. Enoch says that he walked with God and, and was no more or which also means like he had the likeness of God, that he walked in God's ways, wasn't, you know, not just out for a nice stroll on the beach. Noah, he forsook the world and built the ark. I mean, imagine, imagine that, being ridiculed, having to go through that, but he had the faith to, to do that. Abraham had a, a great journey of faith. I mean, he left his home, his home country, went on this amazing journey with God and, and believed and trusted in him. Sarah, his wife, held on to God's promise and faithfulness, even though she was past the age of bearing a child. Like, she believed that God could somehow, some way, make that happen. Joseph, he perseveres during God's test. Moses, he had great humility before God and man. The Bible says he was the most humble man on the earth. And imagine just him, you know, at 80 years old, you know, dealing with or, or leading, you know, countless of millions of, of people out of the promised land. That's a lot. Gideon, Phineas, Samson's they, they fought God's enemies. They fought for God. Daniel, Daniel was a, a man of integrity and served kings. He, you know, he, he served some really wicked kings. I mean, one of them built a huge golden statue and made everybody worship it, or you'd throw them in a fire. Like, that's pretty bad. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He was an amazing worshiper. Elijah Elijah carried God's authority challenging Jezebel in a time of spiritual drought. I mean, God said that he reserved for himself 5,000 in that time, which is like less than 1%. That's like less than 1% of the entire population of the nation, if you think about it. So that, that was a dark time. Uh, Josiah, he fears God's word. They Actually, God's word was lost, and they, they renovate the temple, and they find it. I don't know how you lose God's word, but I guess they lost it. 
And he read it, and he actually tore his clothes because of what was in there. He's like, man, we have fallen short. And he brought a, a national reform. Esther, she puts her life on the line. Nehemiah was God's builder, which is good for you construction guys because God loves building things. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, many prophets were God's voice in a time where it wasn't popular to stand up for uh, righteousness, for the truth. John the baptizer was God's messenger. Peter was bold and martyr for the gospel. I think we don't give Peter enough credit, but he was very bold. And one thing that is interesting is that in Revelation it says cowards will be thrown in the lake of fire. So the Bible is very hard on cowards. And he was bold. Paul displayed great zeal for the kingdom. And Jesus, finally, our, our great example, he gave up the privilege of a king, took on the role of a servant, and submitted himself even unto death on the cross. See, all these characteristics embody God's friends. Maybe you share in some of these as well. But what is the secret to be becoming God's friend? I think you can encapsulate that in this phrase I, I heard from Bobby Connor. He's a, a man of God. He speaks multiple times a week for the last decade or two. But this is what he said. He says, do as quickly and as thoroughly all that God asks you to do. I'll say it again. Do as quickly and as thoroughly all that God asks you to do. I mean, if you want to get somewhere in the kingdom of God, if you want to, whatever you might call it, promotion or being close to God or being used by God or, or carrying authority or the power that you read in these stories, then do exactly that. You know, and that's not popular because sometimes we're like, oh, well, you know, maybe tomorrow, Jesus, I'll do what you ask me to do. Or maybe next year or maybe after I do this or maybe after I bury my father or, you know, I got to plow the fields or I got to, you know, Make my millions. You know, we have all sorts of excuses. Or sometimes it's like, oh, well, I don't really want to do, do it very thoroughly. You know, maybe I want to do some of what you've asked me to do. Which in the Bible, partial obedience is not really obedience at all. But I'm actually grateful that Jesus didn't do, he didn't obey God partially. He didn't be, he wasn't like on the cross and he didn't say like, oh, I'm finished. You know, he's like, I'm done with this. He didn't say that. He was obedient unto death. And I'm so grateful, I was thinking about that, the men and women, the great heroes of the faith obeyed God. They paid a price. And because of their sacrifice, because of what they've done, we're here today. I mean, they weren't perfect. They made a lot of these characters, they made huge mistakes. They... You know, like they made tremendous mistakes. They're human just like us. And yet somehow, some way, God used their lives to get us where we're at today. I mean, the church has outlasted empires, has outlasted countries, has outlasted businesses. It's outlasted pretty much everything. When God just uses people, ordinary people like you and me, that's quite an achievement. It's quite an accomplishment. But I hope that when you get to the end of your life, I hope that somebody can say that they were grateful that you obeyed God. They were grateful that you were generous. They were grateful that you were obedient. They were grateful that you paid the price for their benefit. Because when we don't follow the call of God, other people lose out. When we don't go where he tells us to go, those people lose out. When we don't do what he asks us to do, those people will lose out on that blessing.
I wrote, to think we are God's friends without obeying what he says is like being hired for a job but never showing up to work. There's work that we got to put into that. Now let's uh, close out with verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit so that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. God expects that we produce fruit. That's why he's called us. He, he sends us out like laborers to a vineyard. And when he returns, he's going to reward us based on our works. And I hope that our works can withstand his scrutiny. It can withstand the, the fire that he's, going to, um, that he's going to test it with. Now you might say that, man, this sounds like hard work. I don't want to be God's friend. Well, it is hard. But... Jesus promises in the scripture that whatever we ask the Father in his name, he will give it to you. That's an amazing promise. Who wants that? I think, who wants to like be able to pray and God like just, boom, Amazon Prime, here you go. Here's your answer. You know, you don't have to be the guy like holding the, you know, the t- you have like God's like, go grab a ticket and I'll answer you in 30 years. Man, I want to be able to, like Elijah prayed that there wouldn't be rain and it stopped. That's crazy. But I want to talk to you about some of the benefits of, of being God's friend. And I, I know we're going a little long, but this is, inspires me. This is like kind of the benefit to being God's friend. It says, Abraham, even though he made the mistake, but he gets blessed by, with material wealth, even silver, even though he lies to Abimelech about Sarah being his sister. So he totally lies that his wife is his sister and Abimelech is his you know, rich king, he takes his wife, and then God totally, he totally backs up, or he totally shows up to Abimelech in a dream and says, like, you've taken this guy's wife. And at the very end of this whole ordeal, Abimelech ends up giving him, like, all kinds of animals and wealth and silver, which is like, wait a minute, like, didn't Abraham screw up? And yet he gets more, he gets more blessed after his mistake than he was before, like, that doesn't make any sense, but he was a friend of God, so God, he, I don't know, God made it happen. Jacob, even though he stole his brother's birthright and had his wages changed, he, he gets blessed too, right? When he multiplies the sheep and um, he gets all the spotted ones, like God totally blessed that plan, even though it didn't make any sense, and he just used these weird sticks in order to get them to multiply so they were all spotted. Like, but God end up, ends up blessing him. And in fact, God didn't even kill him. Like, you think wrestling God's a bad idea and that he would just, you know, pile drive you into the earth. But um, he ends up living, getting his hip uh, dislocated. Moses sins against God. This was a bad one, but he was still allowed to see the promised land. Imagine that. Imagine, like, working for 40 years and not even being able to see it. Terrible. Samson, he totally disgraces himself, you know, allows himself to be deceived, you know, is with this prostitute, really bad. They cut his hair off. He loses his strength. And yet, even though when he was um, in the temple of Dagon, he prays one last time that God would return his strength, and God answers, which is amazing. And, you know, he dies, and, but so did all the other Canaanites. Joshua asked for the, st- the sun to stop. God listened. That's like a mic drop moment. Like, who does it? Like, God listened to the, for the sun to stop, and that happened? Also, um, David, this is really interesting. David was going to murder this guy, Nabal, like literally just take his head off. 
because he was disrespectful and inhospitable, you know, even though David had done all this stuff for him. And, you know, the whole story, I don't want to get into the story, but Abigail, Abigail, Nabal's wife, stops him. But then God ends up striking Nabal dead, and then David marries Abigail and, like, gets all his stuff. Isn't that, like, crazy? That's, like, a, a weird story, but David totally, you know, I mean, God totally backs up David, and he ends up blessing him. Peter denies the Lord three times. I don't know if you guys read the scripture where it says, you know, those who deny me before man, I will deny before the Father. Like, that is a serious scripture. Peter didn't do it once. He did it three times. And so God, but God makes an exception to his own, his own rule. And yet he goes and restores Peter. Isn't that crazy? He makes an exception for Peter. What I'm trying to say is that God is faithful to his friends. Even when they make mistakes, even when they're wrong. And yes, there are consequences to their sin. I'm not telling you guys to go crazy or to go out and do whatever you want. But it seems like even though they make mistakes, they end up better than what they were before. Because that's how God's grace works. Mercy says we, you know, uh, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve, but grace is getting what Jesus deserves. It's amazing. I just want to close up, and I just hopefully inspire everybody, every person, to become a friend of God, to draw near to him, to, to pay the price of what it's going to cost you. Because the benefits far outweigh anything that you're ever going to sacrifice, anything you're ever going to give, Whatever this world has to offer, Christ can offer you so much more. And I wish we could spend more time on this because I feel like it's not really talked about. But, man, for me, it, it, it brings me such excitement because in James it says that Elijah was just a man, a man just like us. And yet when he prayed, it, it stopped raining. And then when he prayed again, it began to rain again. Can you imagine having the authority in your life? Imagine having the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, to, to pray and to, to see cancer healed, to, to ask God to provide and he provides, to, to see some of these things in our life that we read in the story. It's like we often wonder, like, God, how come you're not working in the same way? And I would say it's because so few people are willing to pay the price to really be his friend, to really know him, to walk in that same power and authority. But I'll leave you with this verse, which Jesus says, is this is what I command you. Love one another. And we'll finish with that. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you allow us, a human being, a human, a created being, full of flaws, full of mistakes, God, full of sin or pride or whatever we're dealing with. It amazes me that you even allow us, God, to, to not only be saved, not only to to come and, and taste your kingdom, but that you would even call some of us friends, that you, you extend the right hand of fellowship and you desire our, our presence, you desire our company to spend time with us. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would take up that call, Lord, that we wouldn't make the excuses, we wouldn't settle for something far less, that we would be motivated to, to be like Moses, to speak face to face with you. 
we would be motivated to, to hunger and thirst for the things that you, that you want to release through our lives into this world, God. And I pray that, that whatever things that we're dealing with or, or struggling with, Lord, that, that, you would, um, that you would remove those things, that you would take away those lower appetites and give us a greater appetite for your love. And so, God, I just bless every man, woman, child in this place, and I ask that they would uh, have a passion for you and a fire that would not die out, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.